Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host. Today I thought it'd be good to think about Christmas once again. And I'm in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, which says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. What a wonderful verse that tells us that just at the right time, God set up the world so that Jesus could come as a babe in a manger, he could live a sinless life, and then die on a cross just for you and for me. And the point is that because he died on the cross and took our place and redeemed us by his own precious blood, that when we receive him by faith, we're adopted into the family of God and we're called sons of God. What a great blessing it is to represent Jesus Christ in this day and age. What a privilege. I trust that the Lord will bless all of us together as we do his work and do his will throughout this new year. This week we continue our discussion with Dr. Craig Hartman, Director of Shalom Ministries and author of Through Jewish Eyes, and Dennis Campbell, the President of Mission Go Ministries. There's been an outpouring of affection and, and concern for Israel, and, and lots of people are wanting to give. It's just that they're finding that it's not the same giving to Israel as it is to many other places, because Israel isn't like a third world country. Right. We're not dealing with like a like, a, like an earthquake in Mexico or or, you know, something like that where, you know, tens of thousands of people are affected in israel there's nine million people and uh seven million of them are jews and israel has a reputation because we've we've had to be this way and it's a cultural thing as well we sort of take care of ourselves we take care of each other and so 
there are still needs. I'm not trying to downplay that, but the needs aren't what people would normally expect. I mean, some of the greatest medical care existing in the world is home in Israel. So there's not a need for thousands and thousands of doctors. Although having said that, when, it, when the war first broke out, when the attack first happened, Israel wasn't sure if there was going to be a northern uh, initiative as well. And they weren't sure exactly the magnitude. So they did open up a call for doctors from all over the world to please come. Um, that has been sort of continued, but they're actually not bringing many doctors on They're They're asking them to be on standby, if you will, for the most part. But there have been some things, and, and the Israeli government is going to get to everything eventually, but there have been some things that have been difficult to deal with right up front. And that is, you know, the, there's a lot of displaced people. Um, in the South, when the kibbutzim were destroyed, well, those people have to find a place to live. And for the people in the kibbutzim that worked off of the kibbutzim, if the kibbutz is shut down, their livelihood is shut down. So there's additional costs in feeding these people by either the hotels or the organizations or the people that are taking them in. They have additional costs to feed them and, 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 and clothe them. And the people that don't have work anymore, which is not a giant number of people, but they're there. They have a need, so that so one category that 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 has a need, that is needy, is the dis, the displaced families. A second category is there's a lot of love uh, and affection being poured out for the hot, for the for the soldiers, and so there are groups all over Israel that are doing care packages for the soldiers, which which means a lot to these people, and a lot of them, you know, a number of them have been killed. It's really sad. Um, it's really sad. Um, I won't go into detail because. I want to get through this without getting too emotional, but I had a, a, a report yesterday that was brutally sad. But anyway, um, so the soldiers are in the minds of people. And then one of the other areas, and there are more areas, but you asked about us. What we're doing is um, we're, we're helping out with displaced families, uh, active duty soldiers, and um, and the hostages. Um I won't say too much about it. It would be inappropriate, but people that we're connected to in Israel are, are leading initiatives where there's pressure being put on the, the Hamas to release the hostages. It's a long shot, of course, but it's being done through pressure put on nations in primarily in the West who fund the Palestinians to put pressure on those nations to withhold funding and that being the leverage to have these, these Palestinians that are not Hamas to put pressure on those that are Hamas to release hostages. Now, this is a complicated thing, the hostages. I don't know how much you want to go into any one of these subtopics, but I'll just say this. And people need to understand this, and that's why I'm going to just talk about this for a second because it relates. Um, and, and I know that your listeners want to, want to understand not long ago, there was a young man, a soldier for, for, in the Israeli army, Gilad Shalid. And, and Gilad Shalid um, was captured and, and taken hostage by, um, by a terrorist organization. And ultimately, after several years of being in captivity, he was released back to Israel in exchange for Israel releasing over 1,000 terrorist prisoners. Because the Israeli mind is... Um, one life is worth that. And many people think it's crazy. And some of those very terrorists that were released are part of the gang of thugs that attacked Israel now. And some of them we know for a fact that they've been killed in the, in the Israeli incursion 
into Gaza. It's a very difficult thing, therefore, for Israel to move forward, risking the lives of these 220 or 40. I can't get a straight answer because they don't want to risk the lives of the hostages. But yet this was so extreme and was so bad that Israel has to sort of walk this fine line. And so even though it's a long shot, getting the hostages released is really important to the hostages and their families, of course. But it's a key element in the negotiation of how this is going to end. And so we felt it was important for us and the people that are part of our ministry and give to our ministry. They've been designating specifically for that in, in those three areas. And so I would encourage people to consider not necessarily with Shalom, but if you want, if people want to give to Israel during this war effort, something related to those three um, areas would be would be places of, of definite need. Well, thank you, Dr. Hartman. Introduction to your heart for ministry. We look forward to your additional messages and heart regarding this Jewish ministry. Join us next week as we continue our discussions with Dr. Craig Hartman, author of Through Jewish Eyes. There are many causes of hopelessness. The most common is placing our confidence in things that can fail money, health, beauty, and status. Painful circumstances can cause us to lose hope in other people or circumstances. God wants to work out his purposes for you and ultimately give you peace that passes all understanding. In the booklet Hope Your Soul you'll learn what all of the unreliable anchors are, and how to place your hope in on the anchor that will never fail. To order your copy, of the booklet Hope, the Anchor of Your Soul, please write to, Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario L2 or 7A7 or in the United States, Box 2010, Buffalo, New York 14231. Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is a listener-supported program and we would not be on the air without the support of our listeners. Message is from Dr. Fred Hartman. Printed copies are available upon request. The last three times in our messages, we have been considering how close we are to the end times. We have sought to show you that the Jewish people are returning for the second time, just as God promised. They have retaken Jerusalem, which is a necessary basis for end time prophecy to be fulfilled. Though these things are falling into place just as the prophets of old predicted. There are also many more promises, and we'll try to examine some, examine some of them today. To begin with, we would like to consider the currency of Israel. Today, the measure of the currency is in shekels. 
Throughout the centuries of Gentile rule, there have been many different currencies used in the land. In fact, in my desk drawer, there's a first-century Roman coin that I found at Caesarea. The British pound was used until February 23, 1980, when it was replaced with the shekel, which is the common coin of today. So from 70 AD until February 24, 1980, there were no shekels in circulation. Just recently, archaeologists found a two-shekel coin beneath Robinson's Gate at the southwest corner of the Temple Mount. It dates back to the time of King David. So how does a shekel fit into the prophetic picture of end-time prophecies? The answer is found in the book of Ezekiel. Chapters 40 through 48 tell us about the Millennial Temple, its size and construction, as well as what the worship will be like during that period of time. In Ezekiel 45, verses 12 to 16, we read, The shekel shall be twenty jerahs, twenty shekels, twenty-five shekels, and fifteen shekels shall be your mina. This is the offering which you shall offer. You shall give one-sixth of an ephah from a homer of wheat and one-sixth of an ephah from a homer of barley. The ordinance concerning oil, the bath of oil, is one-tenth of a bath from a core. A core is a homer and t- or ten baths. For the ten baths are a homer. And one lamb shall be given from a flock of two hundred, from the rich pastures of Israel. These shall be for grain offerings, burnt offerings, and peace offerings, to make atonement for them, says the Lord God. All the people of the land shall give this offering for the prince in Israel. Without going into all the details of the various measures given here, it's important for our study to only look at the shekel. Ezekiel, when describing the offering that will be made in the future millennial temple, uses shekels. For over 1,900 years, they've not been the currency of Israel. Now they're in circulation again. This detail, for my mind, is a fascinating one. This can only be another indication that we're coming closer to the end times. Another indication that we're drawing close to the end times is the revival of the Hebrew language. Like Latin, Hebrew had become a dead language. The only time Latin is used is at Mass in Catholic churches. For centuries, Hebrew was only used when reading the Torah or from prayer books. No one spoke it. God used one man, Eliezer ben Yehuda, who had a real love for the Hebrew language to encourage the Jewish people to relearn Hebrew. He said, I have decided that in order to have our own land and political life, it is also necessary that we have a language to hold us together. We must have a Hebrew language in which we can conduct the business of life. It will not be easy to revive a language dead for so long a time. Without going into details here, his dream has come true, and the Hebrew language is alive and well today, spoken by millions of people. But what does that have to do with end-time events? The prophet Zephaniah says in chapter 3, verse 9, For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language, that they may call on the name of the Lord. He makes this statement in context with God, judging the Gentile nations, and then bringing in his kingdom. 
There's a parallel passage in Isaiah 19. There God is promising judgment on Egypt, followed by him blessing that nation when they will finally turn to him at the time of the millennial reign of Christ. Beginning in verse 16, or rather verse 18 of Isaiah 19, it says, In that day, five cities of the land of Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear by the Lord of hosts and will be called the city of destruction. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. And it will be for a sign and for a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they will cry to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt because of the oppressors. And he will send them a savior and a mighty one, and he will deliver them. Then the Lord will be known to Egypt, and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day, and will make sacrifice and offering. Yes, they will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. We know that Egypt has never known the Lord. In fact, throughout the scriptures, Egypt is depicted as a, the world and its sin. Egypt has never turned to the Lord, but will as a nation turn to him after God judges them and Christ returns. Since sacrifices and offerings will be made during the millennial reign of Christ, this passage will be fulfilled at that time. Here's where we get back to the point that the revitalizing of the Hebrew language is showing us we are close to the end times. We saw in our passage that they will speak the language of Canaan at that time. That language of Canaan, during the Canaanite period, there were many city-states, each with their own king, culture, and language. This is very clear by reading the book of Joshua. The language of Canaan was Hebrew after the exodus from Egypt, and the children of Israel conquered the land. Now, Hebrew has once again been established as the language of the land, just as God has promised. I believe this is another indication that we're fast approaching the end times. Another area that we should consider to show that we could be very close to the end times is how the land itself has been changed in recent years. Here are two prophetic passages of scripture that we should consider. The first one is found in Joel 2, 21-24. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up, and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad, then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. The second passage is found in Ezekiel 36, 33 to 36. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, 
I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it and will perform it. I have read writer after writer who had visited Palestine in the 19th and early 20th centuries. They all reported the same thing. The land was empty of people. There were no trees. And the little towns that were left were in terrible condition. No one could ever reclaim that land. It was hopeless to even think they could. It was a land to avoid, a wasteland and rampant with disease. The only visitors were a few fanatical pilgrims. However, when the Jewish people returned, everything began to change. First of all, as we have mentioned before, they drained the swamps and began to raise crops. Then they began to plant trees. The Jewish National Fund was established for this purpose, and millions and millions of trees had been planted, establishing the large forests that are clearly visible throughout the land today. I am fully aware of this, having planted trees myself in honor of various family members. They even have a forest named after President Truman because he recognized Israel as a nation just a few moments after David Ben-Gurion declared Israel's statehood on May the 14th, 1948. The first time I went to Israel was in March 1992. One of the first things I noticed was the beautiful floral growth in the desert. Today, with the use of their system of irrigation, you will find huge date palm plant farms out in the desert, providing this and other fruit for the people, as well as supplying Europe with some of the finest fruit and vegetables for their tables. On the Golan Heights, what was once nothing but a military base for Syria, you now find some of the finest grazing lands for cattle. In 1972, Israel did not have a lot of beef, and what they did eat was imported from Argentina. Now they raise their own. Instead of old dilapidated buildings in their cities, they are now modernizing with well-constructed buildings, lovely tree-lined streets, and a good road system throughout the country. In less than 100 years, these people have come from the ancient past to a beautiful, thriving nation. Her cities and towns are populated, and it is a joy to see their children playing in the streets. You may be asking yourself, well, what does that have to do with end-time events? The scripture passages we read the earlier speak of a day that, we're, are be, that we are beginning to see unfold before our eyes now, as we're seeing the Jewish people return to their promised homeland from all over the world, as we watch a nation born in a day and be moving toward what God says it will be like at the second coming of the Lord Jesus, we had better begin to wake up to how God is preparing everything just as he has promised 
the way it will be at that time. As we think on the things we have seen from the scriptures, we also should spend a few moments considering another trend that is taking place today. Our world is rapidly changing from nationalism to a system of globalism. I've heard cries for a one-world government, a one-world military, and yes, a one-world church. It would bring all nations into a system where we could be governed alike. Supposedly, this would bring equality and happiness to all the people of the world. I remember my father warning against this many, many years ago. Now I see it being advocated by many world leaders today. There are two basic problems here. The first one is the universality of sin. Fallen mankind will never be able to bring this about. The old sin nature in every person will rise up and prevent this from ever happening. The second problem that I see with this position is that God points out through the scripture that man will attempt to do this in the latter days. As he does it, there will, be a, there will arise a world leader with a silver tongue who will convince the world that he has the answer to all of man's problems. People will follow him just like little ducklings follow their mother duck. The population of the world will buy into all that he has to offer. The only problem is this man will be the Antichrist. My friend, the stage is set for him to come into the world. And when he is revealed, it will be too late. I remember as a boy, listening to my father and grandfather sitting around on Sunday afternoon, discussing whether or not, and if so, when Israel might ever be a nation again, as God promised. Then I saw it happen. And in a day, too. We have seen many leaders of the world as they are pushing a globalist agenda. They want a one-world community and a one-world church, just as God predicted in the book of Revelation. The stage is set for the revelation of the Antichrist. However, he will not be revealed until after the rapture of the church. If what I am saying is true, then the rapture could take place at any moment. The question for you today is, if the rapture would take place today, would you go to meet the Lord in the air? Or would you be left behind? The difference is in whether or not you've trusted Christ to be your Savior. 1900 years ago, he came into the world to pay the price for your sins at Calvary. He did his part. Now you must do yours by putting your trust and faith in what he has done for you. You can receive him right now by recognizing you're a sinner realizing he has paid the price for your sins and asking him to forgive you and come into your life. I trust you will do that. I trust that the message you just heard will be a real blessing to you throughout this next week as you contemplate some of the truths that have been presented to you. Here at Canada's National Bible Hour, we're concerned about people growing in their faith and being discipled through the messages and uh, the programs that we present, but also we're concerned about those who may be listening to our broadcast who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And of course, this is a new year and to be a new start if you would ask Jesus to come into your heart, if you don't already have that relationship with him. And the scriptures are very clear about what needs to happen. First of all, God says that he, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, is eternal life, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the Lord Jesus is the one that did the work on the cross. He's a savior. He paid your penalty for your sins and he rose on the third day and your sins can be forgiven if you ask him to come into your life. Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. And as you grow closer to God, God uses you to bigger and greater extent. That's what the scripture promises. Remember to order your copy of the booklet Hope, the anchor of your soul. Please write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario L2 or 7A7 or in the United States, Box 2010, Buffalo, New York 14231. Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is a listener-supported program and we would not be on the air without the support of our listeners. If you, your friends from church, or family members are interested in more information about short-term or career ministry opportunities, or seeking someone to come to your church, or a group to speak about international missions, please call 866-483-5787 in Canada or 888-900-5048 in the United States or on the web visit www.missiongood.org. So we can share more information.